the uh, even the lighting has the flu. So they tell me this is where I'm standing today. That works out great. Ryan can have it back in a few minutes. The Super Bowl last week, we had a party here at church. That was great fun. The winning, we had a chili cook-off, and the winning chili was Texas chili, which seems right, doesn't it? So the uh, Texas Chilean was the winner. And then, suspiciously, pastor's wife finished second. So one of her family said, sounds rigged that the pastor's wife would finish second, and my wife is competitive, and she said, no, if it's rigged, I would have finished first. So I think so we're defending the purity of the whole thing. So between now and Easter, it's not too late to sign up, we're doing the updated 40 Days of Purpose with Rick Warren. He's doing the Bible study for us, and we're, uh, we're asking the Bible one specific question. We're asking the Spirit of God one specific question. What on, what on earth am I here for? And so there's a daily reading that goes along with that. There's a small group. The uh, Tuesday group will be here. We had one in-home group, and now that one will be at church Tuesday. And uh, the Friday groups were great. Wednesday was great. We tried to have a Thursday, Friday, and Saturday group, and they all got condensed to Friday, and all three groups met here, and it was just terrific, although the kids were allowed to be loose in here, and that's why the lighting isn't working, and, uh, and it took a while to get the sound up and running. So uh, next week, we'll make sure the kids are out. It's fun. Can you imagine what it's like to be a kid in here with the lights off playing hide-and-seek? Hide there was like 30 of them. So they had a great time, and we should be thankful that anything works, frankly. So it's not too late to sign up if you would like to, to join us, our big walk to Easter. Our big thought for today, our whole premise for today, we cannot love until we are loved. Jesus said the whole point of life is to love God and love others. But there's one step before that, the foundational principle. We can't love until we first know what love is. And based on how effective our parents and our family of origin circumstances were, we may or may not genuinely know what it's like to feel love. So to pass love on, to love God, to love others, to even love ourselves, we first have to know what love is. So love is great. We can miss it. And we are not the only ones that risk missing the love of God or even the concept of love. There's some Bible comedy that we can miss. The Bible doesn't feel that funny, but it's about people trying to understand God and God interacting with people. So there's actually quite a bit of comedy, and one is Jesus had two earthly brothers who wrote books of the Bible, half-brothers. The Holy Spirit conceived Jesus with Mary. Then after Jesus was born, Mary and Joseph were free to have a normal earthly family, and they had sons, they had daughters, Jesus had earthly sisters and brothers, and both Jude and James missed that their older brother was the son of God in sandals. We can miss Jesus, but you know what? He wasn't in our house. Can I get an amen growing up? Now, maybe you had one of those older brothers that just did no wrong. My oldest brother married an Italian, so really lowered the bar, and uh, the rest of us didn't feel that overwhelmed. The second brother really has been wildly successful, and then the next sister, wildly successful. The older brother did very well, but I didn't have the kind of brother that mom always said, well, why can't you be more like your older brother? He was good. He was solid. He was great. But some of you grew up with a near-perfect older brother. 
Can you imagine having Jesus as your older brother? Yeah, boy. You have any complaint? Mom, Jesus, what's Mary going to say? I doubt it. I doubt it, honey. It was probably your fault. Anytime it's Jesus' job to do the dishes, right? He could just, and the dishes would be done. Mom, that's not fair. Jesus never struggled with homework. To have Jesus as your brother and then miss he was who he said he was. God in sandals. They not only missed Jesus growing up, but when Jesus declared himself, I am the promised Messiah, he's doing miracles, he's walking on water, he's talking to big crowds, still missed it. One point the brothers come to where Jesus is teaching, and they're outside, and uh, they, somebody says, Jesus, your mom and family are out there. They want you to come out. And Jesus said, who are my mother, brothers? Who, who is my family? He's like, uh, well, those guys, what are, you, what, are you, what are you saying? And he said, those who love me and follow me, that's my family. It's like, well, okay, but Mary and Jude and James are still standing outside, and uh, they think you're nuts. To the point that at the cross, the foot of the cross, we'll talk about John in a minute. John was standing at the foot of the cross with Mary. Jesus, hanging on the cross in a lot of pain, said, John, she is now your mother, meaning take care of her. Now, we assume James and Jude and the rest were part of the big crowd watching all of this, but they're far back. They don't believe Jesus is the Son of God. They think their older brother got crossways with the law, and they don't want to be too close to this. Jesus says, John, take care of my mother. He just pictured James going to Jude. What do you say? I don't know. We're not close enough to hear. I, I don't know. We'll, get, we'll ask Mom later. It took the resurrection of Jesus. Anybody can die it took the resurrection of Jesus before his own brothers believed he was the Son of God in sandals. John was in the same boat. He wasn't a brother. He was a friend. He had to go into the empty tomb. When Jesus said, I'll be back in three days, John was not outside waiting. He's like, well, any time now. John, the women were there to dress the body, the dead body. They couldn't find a dead body. They go and tell Peter and John and the rest, there's no body, and the tomb is open. So then they run, and sure enough, they go in. John makes a point of saying, uh, I got there first. I'm faster. So that's one of my favorite details in the Bible. And then Peter went in, supposed to be respectful, but Peter just went in, and John said, well, since Peter went in, I went in. And John said, and only then did we get, that's what the scriptures were talking about. He wasn't going to stay dead. Like, oh. Right, the promised Messiah was going to die but not stay dead. And Jesus said he was not going to stay dead. And, ah, this makes sense now. And only then, James, Jude, John became leaders in the early church. Jude says this. This is kind of some Bible comedy. Rick Warren says, look, I'm a Bible teacher. We're asking the Bible this. We're doing a Bible study on this one question. What on earth am I here for? He said, I, I, I want you when you get to heaven and you meet Jude I don't want you to say, hey, what would you think of my book in the Bible? And you just have a blank stare. I want you to say, oh, yeah, hey, Jude, great book. It's his, it's his uh, Beatles joke. Hey, Jude, great book. And Rick Warren says, it's only 25 verses. I need some of those. I need some of us to memorize the book. So when Jude says, hey, what would you think about my book? He says, hey, Jude, great book. And then you can just say it to him because it's 25 verses. It's as short as the books in the Bible get. And that was Jude. And Jude begins, his first sentence is this. This letter from Jude to the early church. I am writing to all who have been called by God the Father, who loves you 
our concept of today, and keeps you safe in the care of Christ Jesus. The whole reason Jesus died is whatever wild sin you've got in your life, whatever craziness, I haven't even gotten to all of them yet. I've got years to go. Who knows the crazy sin I can still do? All of that is not bigger than Jesus dying on the cross. So forgiveness is available to us. That's the care of Jesus Christ. Jesus said, my Father in heaven gives me my, the children, and I won't lose a single one. That level of God's love for us. John, John wrote a much longer book, but he has one of the most short, famous verses in the Bible. God is love. So when Jesus said the whole point of life is to love God and love others, our first reaction can be, I better get to work. All right, let's get started. But Rick Warren is pointing out that there's an assumption there that we want to make sure we don't miss. The real starting line, the foundation, is God first loves us. So much so he's willing to send Jesus to die. And do we get that? Often not. Jude didn't. James didn't. John didn't. It took a while. It's okay that it takes us a while, but at some point we have to understand that God loves us profoundly, and only then can we love others. You know Maslow's hierarchy of needs? I just picked up the homeless guy's trash out front again this morning. I've tried to have conversations with him. On occasion, we'll have a little bit of a conversation, but I'm not going to have a deep conversation with him about career development until he feels his basic needs are met. Food, shelter, clothing. He's got transportation covered. He walks. I, uh, I see by his life choices what's in the trash, what I'm cleaning up. I'm a little concerned this morning. Uh, pretty full salad, chicken salad in there, and he didn't eat that. But uh, all the processed packages were empty. All right, I think you need to eat your salad. But it's not a conversation to have with him about uh, making sure you get plenty of dietary fiber when you're worried about the basics. Maslow's hierarchy of needs. The first foundation is to feel safe. Before you can move on up and work on your career, before you can work on your interpersonal skills, before you can work on investing in those around you, you first have to feel safe. Well, in the same way, Jesus said you have to build your foundation of life on God. And he compared it. Do you build it on sand? Do you build it on a rock? You build it on the rock, and it all begins with, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Only then, when we feel loved, not based on our mom or our dad or our siblings or our first marriage or the second marriage or the fifth marriage or how someone treated us or those jerks in middle school, do we understand that the God of the universe loves us profoundly? That's how we get our house in order so that we can then move on to the other things, to be loved by our Creator. The Psalms, the poems of the Bible, right in the middle of the book, if you actually pick up a paper copy of the Bible, right in the middle, said God knew us before we were formed, before we were born, formed us in our mother's womb intentionally. Like, well, you know, you could have gone a little smaller on the nose, Lord the face a little less, but that's, we're built on purpose, formed on purpose. The way we are with our, our gifts, our abilities, our things we need to overcome, the way we need to rely on each other, we're built with a basic need that we need to surrender. We all want to be islands, untouchable. We need each other. We need God. We have to use that word surrender to get there. None of us care for that word, 
And going back even further, look at this. Paul wrote this. This is pretty profound for Paul as he was planting churches. Even before God made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. We come from a long time ago. I mean, some of us genuinely come from a long time ago. I was alive in the 60s, but we come from a long time ago. We may have had a shock to our parents, but we were not a surprise to God. And with all of our uniqueness, well, God, why did you make me this way? Because we are not going to surrender easily. Can I get an amen? The only way we are going to allow someone to love us, to allow God to love us, to interact with others in a meaningful, vulnerable way, is we have to surrender. And if we were great on our own, we wouldn't need each other. There has to come that moment where you think, I don't, we were doing uh, the Tuesday small group, and we were talking about why we were willing to do this Bible study, Rick Warren's Bible study on this, part, this question in the Bible. And one of us of the group said, well, I've tried it my way. It's not working all that great. I thought I would try God's way. Just see. And everybody in the group laughed because, yeah, we all agree. That's why we're here. Just to grasp the idea that before the first verse in Genesis, in the beginning, God, before he built the place for us to live, to be born into, he had us in mind. You don't build a house if there's nobody going to be living in it. Before the world was created, God was thinking of us on purpose. So the idea for today is to let that sink in. Our first purpose in life is not to serve God. That's a response. Our first is not to trust God or to obey God or even to love God. First, we have to let God love us. You can't love somebody or something else until you have some concept of what love is. God didn't create us to do something. Kind of feels like it, right? You read through the Bible. If you're not careful, you miss this opening premise. God didn't create us to do something. Now, God created us to do something. We want to use our gifts and our abilities to serve those around us. We get great meaning from that, certificates of appreciation. But that's not the first reason God created us. First, in order for that to work, in order for us to care about others enough to serve them, we first have to realize we are cared for, we, have, we are cared about. The first thing God did was for us to receive love. And it's a life-transforming truth. The number one purpose of my life is to be loved by God. Now, you know this. When you love someone, do you accept them completely the way they are? Or do you want them to work on some things? You want them to work on some things. It's the essence of Jenny that I love. When she gets into work mode, she can be nicer. She gets a little mean. She's just moving through tasks. But the essence of Jenny, I don't want that to change. That's what I love. And frankly, I love when she's in task mode. She gets a lot done. Whew, she's a wonder. Just maybe don't help her. Know what I'm saying? I love, we have three kids. Love the three kids. Amazed by the three kids. But I don't want them to stay exactly as they are. They've got to look at a few things to work on. 
Jenny has things for me to work on. So when God loves us just the way we are, yes. Now we want to live up to who God created us to be, the better versions of ourselves. But the number one purpose in life is not to work on ourselves. The number one purpose, the foundational purpose, the Maslow's purpose is to be a benefactor of God's love. And we can miss that. And when we miss that, all the rest doesn't work. The first duty in life is not to do something. It's not to learn or listen or pray or give or sacrifice. It's not to serve. All of those are great things, and those are the things we do in response. But the first reason God created us is to love us, which means we have to use that word surrender, be vulnerable, and be loved. Remember the first time? Some of us are of an age. We haven't gone there yet. Where you were willing to be loved by someone? Hopefully your mom and dad did it pretty well. But the first time, not mom and dad, the first friend that you made at school, where you're willing to take the risk, that you too moment, you like Pokemon too, you like baseball too, you like pink too, whatever was the foundation. Come on, it's recess, let's play. That's really the foundation of your first friend. But there's a risk you have to take. Will this, if I'm going to be this person's friend, then they can then hurt me. That vulnerability, that surrender of letting someone love us. So when John wrote, God is love, it took him a while to get there. I don't know what kind of impressive friend you have. I have some impressive friends. None of them were Jesus, and John missed completely. Walking on water, healing miracles, all the great teaching, growing huge crowds, missed it completely. I heard someone talk. I went to made the effort to listen to this guy. He was teaching a topic I wanted to learn about, and he's teaching us away. And then he said, one of the keys I want you to get is that perseverance is a big part of this. He said, let me tell you a story. So growing up in North Carolina, my best friend growing up was Don Schlitz like, oh, I think I've heard of that beer. And he said, uh, this guy was great. Everybody loved Don. He was my personal best friend. He was my next-door neighbor, and he was obsessed with music. So sure, we'd play sports and all the rest, but Don always wanted to play music. But the thing is, Don wasn't very good at music. Nobody asked him to sing after the first song. He wasn't a good singer, wasn't that great of a musician, but he just loved music. We formed bands. They never went anywhere. And then finally, after high school, Don Schlitz, this was 50 years ago, moves to Nashville, Tennessee. And all of his friends who loved him said, don't do that, Don. Get a job. You're terrible at music. You are just not good at this. Don, I love you enough to say, don't go. So Don Schlitz goes to Nashville. His first number one country, he has more than 40 top uh, 100 country hits, or more than 20, I don't know, I don't listen to a lot of country music, but I know his first one, The Gambler by Kenny Rogers. One of my older brothers loved this song. Came out in like 1978. And the guy said, I'm driving along, and Don said he'd been working with Kenny Rogers. Like, okay, I've heard of him, and he's come up with this song. Okay, great. And then he hears it on the radio, and the, the guy's like, That's, Don wrote that? Terrible musician Don? Well, it turns out he has a gift. He loves music. He has a passion for it, even though everybody told him don't do it. 40. You'd have to look him up on if Google him, and you can see if you're a country music person of any age, you know a bunch of those songs. Now Don Schlitz is in the Nashville Country Music Hall of Fame. He's in the North Carolina State Hall of Fame. He's in four different halls of fame. 
And the guy that I went to hear said, missed it completely. No idea Don had a shred of musical talent in all of his body. And now he's worth $100 million, has his own records that he puts out. And the guy said, still, when I call him, it's just my old friend Don. I missed completely who Don was. Well, that was John. Missed completely who Jesus was. Completely. Until after the resurrection, until after Easter. So John wrote this. My beloved friends, let us continue to love each other. Since love comes from God. Our whole, purpose, our whole point today. The person who refuses to love doesn't know the first thing about God. John's point is, if someone's a real jerk, or if you find that you can't love others, you've missed the fact that God loves you. That person has missed the fact that God loves them. The person who refuses to love doesn't know the first thing about God, because God is love. So you can't know him if you don't love. This is how God showed his love for us. God sent his only son into the world as a sacrifice to clear away our sins and the damage the sins have done to our relationship with God. You know it in your own house. There are some behaviors that lead to a broken relationship that has to be mended. So for us, God can't be around imperfection. So Jesus had to come in and fix it. And then just as Jude, the half-brother of Jesus, realized God loves you and keeps you safe in the care of Jesus Christ. John said, we love each other because he loved us first. We can only love each other once we realize God loved us first. The only reason we're able to love is because we are loved first. And we've been through this. When we feel wounded, when we don't feel loved, we don't feel heard and accepted, it's really difficult for us to genuinely love those around us. We were made in the image of God. Ants, snails, rose bushes, grapefruit tree in the backyard, not capable of love. They weren't created in the image of God. We were. And we're invited into this eternal relationship, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. The thing about a relationship is it takes at least two. Jesus said, where two or more are gathered, I'm there. Two or more gathered in my name, through the Spirit of God, I'm there. Love requires at least two. And now this critical distinction that C.S. Lewis, the Christian writer in England, taught me a long time ago. It doesn't mean love is God. Do you see the difference? God is love. Love is God. The whole concept of love was created by God. Love is God. Anything we have a short or long-term infatuation with, we think is sacred and holy. That's not what John wrote. It's great that we have a short or long-term infatuation, that we have feelings of love, the fact that I think Jenny is great. All of that is wonderful. I see examples of love between family members here all the time. It's wonderful. But love isn't God. Love is a response to God, creating and loving us first. Our first job our first role, our first calling, calling where you receive it, is to surrender to the love of God. All right. You built me on purpose. You think I'm lovable this way. Until we grasp that, because we see the rules of Christianity, but the rules 
aren't the point. It's a person. It's Jesus. The rules of the road we talk about, but the point of the road isn't the rules. The point is to get somewhere. The rules are to get us there safely. Not just swerving all over the place, running red lights. The rules of the road to get everybody where they want to go in an orderly fashion. The rules have a place. They're not the point. Rules are necessary. But for a relationship to work, it's not about the rules. Jenny can't just announce, you know what? I'm going to spend a couple of months living with somebody else for a while. That's a rule, Jenny. That's a rule. You can't do that. It's an important rule. But what's the point? That rule? No, the point is our relationship is then destroyed. We're going to have a relationship. There's a place for rules, so we understand how to make this work. That's why the Bible has the rules. But the rules aren't the point. The relationship is the point. The essence of who we are is created and loved by God. And we can't mess that up. Now, I had great parents who taught me what love is. I have pretty good siblings. They still visit, not in the summertime, but they still visit and demonstrate what love is. They're all older than I am, so they're more grandparents to our kids. Kids can't tell them apart. That works out fine for me. I've had uh, lots of friends who love me. I've had mentors who love me. And all that really did was set me up for a basic understanding of how to love Jenny when we got married. But you know, and Jenny's family of origin and friends and mentors taught her how to have a basic understanding of how to love me. But you know where we really understand love? So the 15-year-old that's in the back, when baby Jackson showed up 15 years ago, and it's 2.30 in the morning, and we're both wildly sleep-deprived, and we're leaning over the little portable crib by our bed, and instead of being in our bed, we're just enjoying watching this kid breathe. Covered in awe and baby poop, we were just amazed by, look what we did. It's at that moment as a parent that we begin to understand how God can love us. Now, do we love our kids every moment? No, we're sinful losers, and parenting can be challenging. But we've all had the moments of parenting where you just love the kid. You don't need anything from the kid. You'd like them to make better choices, but you don't need anything from them. Can't wait till this kid grows up and gets a good job and pays for my retirement. I try to have a good relationship with my kids because I know they'll be choosing my retirement home. But I'm working on paying for that. I'll, I'll have the money, but they'll have to choose it well. I'm not, I don't need anything from my kids other than for them to be. We're not called to be a soldier for God. We're called to be a child of God. Jesus said, I no longer call you servants. I call you friends. That is the profound concept. Jesus came to show us. The most amazing truth you'll ever hear in your life is that the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, wants us in the family to be an heir, not a foot soldier. Our number one purpose in life is not to accomplish something. It's the relationship. On occasion, I'll read a story of some famous actor and they'll be talking about their own kids. They're little kids. It's just mom. It's just dad. They have no concept. 
that it's whatever big star of the day. They have to grow up, and they go to school, and like, you know who my mom is? How do you know? Well, it's, I was going to throw out a name, but on occasion, the fact that I never watch a TV show or a movie really rears its ugly head. Whatever famous actress you just thought of, that's the one. And the kids are amazed. How do you, she's just mom. She's a famous actress. It's a famous actor. We get to have that relationship with the Heavenly Father. It's dad. It's what Jesus called him, Abba, dad. Pretty, pretty friendly. Heavenly Father, thou art in heaven. Hey, dad, there's a good prayer for us. Hey, dad, I have a question. Now, we're supposed to experience that love so that we can pass it on. Love God, love others. But we can't pass it on if we don't feel it first. We might be a wildly generous, financially wildly generous person at heart. But if you're dead broke, it really limits how much you can exercise that gift. And the same with love. If we don't feel the love of God, it's pretty tough to pass it on. The very fact that we can be bored by the idea that God loves me means we don't get it. Rick Warren says a lot of people are going to miss heaven by 18 inches, right? They know it, but they don't have it in their heart. They haven't embraced it. They haven't surrendered to it. The number one calling in life is to receive something, to let God love us. That is our foundation. Now, how do we do that? And the answer is the same as billions of others have done it for thousands of years. We have to put some activity into our life. We don't have to do first, but to really feel this. We have to live like we are forgiven. Nothing that we have done is bigger than Jesus on the cross. And it was a surprise to James and Jude and John. Frankly, it was Surprise to Mother Mary. Wasn't a surprise to Jesus. And it took Easter, the resurrection, for the rest of them to finally realize who Jesus was. But he knew he was going to have to die on the cross because we can do some pretty terrible things. And in order for us to love ourselves and love those around us, God had to demonstrate love at the, at the end of the earth level. Die on a Roman cross. So to live like we are forgiven which not only means we, we process our own guilt and shame, but it also means that surrender part that none of us care about, we forgive others. How can we claim to be forgiven if we're not willing to pass it on? Does that mean the abusive person gets to be part of your life? No. It means you go through the process, and it can take a long time, that you forgive the other person. Does it mean they're good for a relationship with you now? No, not at all. The second part is be bold in our praying. If sinful parents want to hear from our kids, how much more our Heavenly Father? To be bold in our praying. Jesus, the Lord's Prayer, the beginning of the Lord's Prayer, basically says, pray long enough for us to realize that God is God and we are not. Sometimes a more practical prayer is help, thanks, wow. Right? Because what motivates us to pray is we need some help. Dad, I've, Dad in heaven, I have a request. And that's fine. We can start there. But if we're not careful, we, we end there, and then God becomes, well, if you answer my prayer, then you're great, and if you don't, then you're not. God becomes Santa Claus. That's not a relationship. That's just the plumber. Called the plumber to come and fix this. It didn't fix it, so I'm not calling you again. That's not the relationship we have with our Heavenly Father, our Creator who loves us. 
So we are motivated to pray through help, but we want to get to the point of thanks and wow. Thanks is, Lord, there's this going wrong in my life, but it's not the only thing going wrong in my life. Rick Warren's famous analogy is life isn't a roller coaster with good and bad. Life is a train track with good and bad. And to remember there's good when we're focused on the bad. So part of prayer time, sure, we're motivated to pray with God, help me with this, but to quickly get to thanks. Well, not quickly, but eventually get to thanks. But Lord, there is this that's good. And to get to wow, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Worthy of praise is, a, is your name. Worthy of praise are you. You created all of this? If, you, if you're stunned by wow, then get to the point of photosynthesis for a while. There's got to be something that amazes you. Because the math doesn't add up that all this just fell into place. The second law of thermodynamics says it all keeps getting worse. If you let the kids play hide-and-seek in the dark in here, the lights won't work, the sound's off, the weeds grow, the laundry gets dirty, the dishes get broken. The second law of thermodynamics is that this doesn't happen. It doesn't get better. It takes work for it to get better. It takes intention for it to get better. We have to get to the wow part of praying, but be bold in our praying. If it would help you, don't start with Heavenly Father or Lord. Start with, hey, Dad. That's what Abba means, informal father. You can call him Pop, but I don't know. feels too far, but it's up to you. Hey, Heavenly Pop. I didn't grow up in pop culture, so, uh, well, that's, I didn't grow up in either one, I guess, now that I say it out loud, but I didn't grow up with da- calling Dad Pop. But the idea is he's approachable. He loves us. And we're motivated to pray by the help. Well, then it's a good place to start, but don't end there. We want to pray boldly and be amazed. And if we start to really grasp who God is and how God feels about us, then we're a lot less sensitive to criticism. Do we like it? No. Unless you're one of those analytical freaks who don't hear it. Can I get an amen? Ever met those people? These are the people that say, well, you take whatever criticism and you try to get out of it whatever you can and you let the rest go. Okay, robot. But for the rest of us that have feelings, criticism hurts. But we're a lot less crushed by criticism when we realize God loves us first. The desperate approval for others can be toned down a bit when we realize that God loves us. My previous job was in radio, and and it's all about the ratings. If the ratings are good, untouchable. If the ratings are bad, unsavable. If God loves us, we can be untouchable, be more bold in our praying, which also then takes us, now that we know we have an all-access pass, we're forgiven, we can pray boldly, but to embrace this life as an adventure, to take some risks. Our middle child still doesn't like plot. We like to start the Disney movie and meet the characters. We like the resolve at the end. We don't like any of the middle part. We don't like the mean sisters in Cinderella. We don't know. We don't like the crazy monkeys in Moana. We don't like any of the middle parts. We don't, uh, in Mary Poppins, the second one where they're going to take the house, we don't like any of the middle part. We don't like any of the plot. All of the 
we met the people, but now they have to overcome this so we can have the happy ending. She wants to meet the people, and she wants the happy ending. And I really find I, I, I agree with her. In life, I don't want the plot, what I have to overcome. But the way we can overcome fear is to recognize that the God of the universe loves us. What, could we, what would we take on if we thought we couldn't fail? If ultimately we're promised heaven and eternity is great, what would we do here on earth? It's amazing when you have someone who believes in you. And maybe you've had a parent believe in you. Maybe you've had the boss believe in you. I've had a lot of people believe in me. It's a lot more fun to do this when Jenny is sitting right there because she takes notes and tells me the good parts and barely mentions the parts where I missed. It's a lot more fun to do this when you have someone who believes in you. Well, the ultimate belief in us is God. Our problem isn't that we don't love God. Our problem is we miss how much he loves us. That moment a million years ago when God decided, yeah, I want, I want that person like this at that time. So what do I have to do? I have to create the world. I've got to get the processes in, in order so you can be here. We are afraid to surrender to that. The Bible says there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out all fear. The only perfect love is the God of the universe. So how do we become a son of God? How do we become a daughter of the Heavenly Father? How do we be a child of the creator of the universe? Back to John. To all who believed him and accepted him, Jesus gave the right to become children of God. For all who believe Jesus and accept the work of Jesus. All right, you say you forgave me, I'll take that. We get the right to become children of God, a right. So this week in the book and in our group, the focus is on worship. Worship is expressing our love back to God. First, we have to embrace being loved by God. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, in this room, there are those who struggle with the concept of you loving us. We get the general idea Sort of like we understand that the sun comes up in the morning. But the personalized nature of the love of God is something that's probably more than most of us can comprehend with any regularity. Lord, we pray for the moments, at least, where we grasp that you love us. If there's anybody here today who doesn't know you that way, may this be the day they not only know it, but feel it. A is to admit they're a sinner who needs the forgiveness of Jesus. B is to believe that when Jesus went to the cross, it was for them personally. When they were created, it wasn't a surprise, an accident, or a mistake, but they were intentionally created by you. And C is to choose to believe that as a child of God, we want to spend this life preparing for eternity, becoming who you created us to be. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. And everybody said, amen.